0: you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 119, verse 105, okay, Psalm 119, 105, I titled the sermon today, Swing Your Sword, okay, that's the title of the series, but the title is based off the, the verse, the title is Psalm 119, 105, all right, that's the title of today, okay, so this whole series in the summer, uh, where I felt like the Lord gave me this uh, series to teach on, full transparency was um, just the lost art of memorizing scripture and I don't know about you but one of the things that you know if you're trying to find a verse look up a verse what do you typically use many people use their phones and they kind of go google or something they put a couple of words in that helps them remember whether that verse they try to find it and because of technology I think the art of scripture memorization is is losing or we're losing it and so uh Part of this is really in hopes that over the course of this summer, you would come alongside me, and as a church body, we would memorize these passages of Scripture. And so over the next eight weeks, I know it's going to go at least eight weeks. Uh, We might have a ninth on July 3rd, last Sunday in July, but for at least the next eight weeks, we're going to be doing this. Uh, I'm not going to only be the one sharing. We're going to have Pastor Micah and Pastor Joe. They're from Bridgeway Church, the church that planted us. They'll be coming to speak in July And uh, John will be preaching in this series as well. We're going to walk through eight different verses that we believe can help us all fight for our soul. That's why the tagline is fighting for your soul, learning to fight for your soul. And I think you do that through scripture. And so today, I want to invite you to memorize our first verse, Psalm 119, 105, okay? And many of you might know it, but you may not know it, but I want to teach on this uh, a little bit today. All right, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Now that's the NLT translation. Uh, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? That's maybe the way you memorized it, New King James Version, but your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So the writer of this Psalm has simply elected or chosen to allow the word of God to be the guide for his life. That is clear. He has elected and chosen for the word of God to be the guide for his life. I have a question I want to ask you today. What guides your life? What guides your life? Everyone is led by something or someone. We are all led or guided by something or someone. Principles, philosophies, a set of values, What a parent taught us, what a teacher told us, what a coach said, a mentor said, a famous person that we like says, a famous saying. Right? We are all led by something or someone. We're all guided by something or someone. That's true. And you can write this down in your notes, and the purpose of that guidance or that leader or whatever it is that's leading us, the purpose of guidance, or the purpose of a guide, is to determine two things. What is acceptable and what is unacceptable. That's whatever guides us does. Whatever philosophy, whatever idea, uh, we, it simply allows us to understand or we are electing, really, whatever guides us, a friend, a coworker, uh, whoever, okay? Boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, okay? We allow those people to come into our lives and they guide us, and if they guide us, what they're really doing is telling us what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. If you've ever been whitewater rafting and you get a river guide, that river guide is simply gonna tell you what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. Don't put, you know, your head out into the water. I don't know, don't jump off or you know, or go down this, navigate this path, go to the right, don't go to the left, back up. And they'll instruct and guide what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. That's one way you think about somebody's being guide or being led down a river. You think about a fishing guide. I remember I went fishing a couple of years ago. I'm not a big fisherman, uh, but I did catch uh, fish this day. We went on a river, did fly fly fishing, and had a river guide, and he told us where to cast in, and if we just cast in where he told us to, fish would hook right on. But if we went to where he didn't, then of course we wouldn't, and so it would help us catch the fish. Uh, what's acceptable area, what's unacceptable, what to do, rules about throwing hooks so we don't you know, bring someone's eye out. Uh, A parent is supposed to help a child determine what is, uh, and I did put the word should, a parent is supposed to or should help a child determine what is acceptable or unacceptable behavior. Even anarchists, you know, they have principles. Those who follow anarchy, right, anarchists are guided by a principle, and the principle is no one should have a ruler. That's the principle. What is acceptable or unacceptable is simply up to the individual. That's what's guiding their life. But the writer of Psalm 119 has made a choice to allow God's word to guide his life. The word of God has become his chief influencer. Here's the definition of influence. It's simply the capacity, we'll put it up, to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something of the effect itself. It simply has the capacity to affect our character, our development, or our behavior. Simply put, the word of God According to this psalmist, he had chosen and elected to make this the influencer of his life, the lamp unto his feet, the guide unto his path, okay? So, in the book of Jeremiah, I want to show you this, the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17, if you want to turn there, you can, or if you have your phone, you can, or you can look on your notes, but Jeremiah is writing to a nation of people who have elected to no longer make this the guide of their life now these are people this is not just a nation and organization this is a group of people a nation of judah the nation is on a downward spiral the nation is falling apart the people are worshiping false gods they're allowing social injustice Uh, They'd broken their covenant with God. In simple words, they had chosen to no longer follow the commands of God. They were no longer being guided by the word of God. Now, I find this interesting, that on the Supreme Court building, is Moses with the Ten Commandments, with tablets engraved in the stone of the east side, I believed. At the same time, the very Ten Commandments cannot be spoken to our schools. Just wrap your head about what happens to a nation when they decide and elect, as a nation, as a group of people, to no longer make the word of God the lamp unto their feet and the light to their path. But here's what happened to the nation of Judah, in case you want a little forewarning. Jeremiah 17 gives the description. In fact, you read the first seven chapters of Jeremiah, it'll unfold to you what's happening to this nation. But here's a little piece of it in Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says Cursed is the one who trusts in man. The nation of Judah was cursed by God, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Then verse 7 reads. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And then verse 9, your favorite verse in all of Scripture. Your heart is deceitful above all things. It's beyond cure. I love this passage of Scripture. I had my staff memorize it. Because I just wanted to remind them they are so deceitful. Isn't that a good boss? Come on, church. Let's celebrate this. Read verse nine with me, like you really mean it, please. Let's look at the t- let's look at the verse nine. Let's just read it together. Ready? Here we go. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. That's verse ten. So, verse nine: the heart is deceitful above all things. And look at the statement that Jeremiah writes I didn't write this so don't get mad at me He said your heart is so deceitful It's beyond cure Wow He's talking to this nation Of Judah These people And he's letting them know that their heart Is so desperately sick Beyond cure At the core of the nation You say "What, what was it revealed Look the core of the nation was a lack of trust in God's word. That's what it says in verse six and five and seven. They had an issue of trust. They had shifted their trust. Instead of following and trusting God's word to be their guidance, to be their leader, their own deceitful hearts led them to place their trust in their own ideas and their own philosophies and their own rules. You know what that is? Anarchy. No one should have the right to rule but me. This is the place they put themselves as a nation. Key truth, you write this in, we deceive ourselves when we trust what we think or feel about ourselves more than what God says about us. That is deception at its core. You begin to believe that what you think or feel about yourself or a situation, you might add, more than what God says about you. But this is what the people of the nation were doing. They were giving into a culture around them and had elected to not stand up or stand out to declare the truth of God's word. This nation of people Knew the word, understood the commands, but had elected in the face of culture to not stand up nor stand out in fear of what the culture might say or think or do. So they began to simply allow culture to be their guide. The culture around them had begun to influence their life choices and became the leader in their life. This is a key thought. I didn't say truth, so I'm going to put a thought into your mind, something to think about. You can write this in. When culture is our guide, then the one operating behind the culture becomes our guide. I want you to see this in Ephesians. I want you to see why I say that's a key thought, something to think about, something to meditate on. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 and why I say that to you. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 6, Finally be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says there's a war, spiritual war, and it's going on in a place you can't see in the heavenly realms. It's not in the physical realm, it's in the heavenly realm. In other words, there are spiritual forces of evil influencing the people around in our culture. So when you follow the culture of the world where Satan is, you're also allowing Satan to rule your life and govern your life. Now, the nation of Judah does not stand for God's word. Instead, they stopped placing their confidence in his word and started placing confidence in a man or in men, or in their own ideas, or their own thoughts, or their own opinions. They stopped discussing what this said and started discussing what each other has to say on a matter. And this no longer became the authority of their life. And so God says, you're cursed because of it. Eventually, Babylon would come in and wipe out the nation. Dismantle it and destroy it. God's wrath is real and it's true. But it wasn't his will, per se, his wanting. It was a choice that the people had simply allowed, uh, simply had made and dealt with the consequences of it. Propose that thought to you. When you follow the culture, you allow who's operating behind the culture to be the one that guides you. And no longer are you allowing this, then, to be what's guiding every step. Notice the psalmist writes also that it's a guide for his feet. Like every step I take, this is what I'm following. Paul then, after talking about the battle, makes a fantastic statement, which we'll all spend the rest of my time. He says, take the helmet of salvation... And then he says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword is the only offensive weapon in the spiritual armor that Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 17. It's the only offensive weapon. The reason it's the only offensive weapon is because it's the only one you need. The word sword here is not a long sword. This is where we get the word machete from. It's a short one. It's more like a dagger. It would be used for close combat when you were in fighting. In other words, when the, heard it said like this, when the devil gets all up in your grill, you know. You ever had the devil up in your grill? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's okay, I do. The devil gets all up in your face, all up in your business. Gets up close and gets personal. Paul says when that happens, Grab the sword, it'll go to work. Human philosophies, Paul would say, principles and strategies don't win spiritual battles. Man-made methods don't win spiritual battles. Paul tells us that the weapon we use to fight is the word of God. Three Greek Greek words for word, God's word, I'll give them to you now, because this word, word, really matters, because he says the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And that word, word, really matters. So I want you to see this in Scripture, in the New Testament. Three words given. The first word for the word, word, is the word graphe. Write this in your notes. It's the written word. It's the book. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17 says, all Scripture, that word Scripture is the Greek word where we get graphe, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Grafe is the written word. It's this right here. It's this. It's this right here. Those pages with those words. That's the word. Grafe. It's the written word of God. But how many of you know that you can have the written word of God right there in your pocket, on your app, or in your house, on your coffee table, and it doesn't do anything by simply possessing the grafe, the written word? You have it, the written word, the written word is here. The written word is on the back of the tables. If you need one, it's here. It's available. But Paul does not use that word in the sword of the spirit when he says, "Which is the word of God." He doesn't use the word graphe. He uses a different word. Here's the second word that we see in the New Testament. It's the word logos. We say logos or logos, which is the meaning of the word or the message. John one uses this word. It says, in the beginning was the Word, was the Logos. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He was with God in the beginning. So he refers to Logos as a man. Because Jesus Christ is the messenger. Jesus Christ comes and delivers the message, brings understanding to who God is and what he looks like. I'll give you another one that's used in Hebrews 4.12. For the word, that's the word Logos was used there, for the Logos of God is alive and active. Notice it doesn't say this is alive and active. This written word is not the word that's being used. This is not alive and active. The meaning behind the message is alive and active. So it isn't good just to do this. <laughs> just try to fight off Satan. Just, you know, it ain't going to help you much. Okay, I'm gonna be real honest. Putting this in your car to protect you from car accidents isn't gonna help you either. Hanging stuff from your rearview mirror isn't gonna help you either. That's the written word. I put across some, I'm, I'm safe now. <laughs> the written word is one thing, the message behind it is alive and active. So you can have this. But if you don't have the meaning, it ain't gonna do a lot of heart surgery on you. It says that's alive and active, sharper than the double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing, the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Let me just tell you, that's why many people don't like to read it. Because it'll do a lot of work on your heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes of whom to whom we give his account. The purpose of the Logos is to expose the heart. In other words, it's God's MRI machine. It adjusts our thinking and feeling on a matter. He puts you into his word. When you get the meaning of his word... The first thing you want to do is go, well, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's what I've been taught my whole life. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. And we just want to push back on how could that possibly say that. And so we try to adjust it and change it and hold on, look up something else. And what does that person say? And but hold on a second. But what do they say? And all of a sudden, our heart begins to kind of panic a little bit. That can't possibly mean what it says it means. And as we go back and forth. Then we try to wrestle with it because your heart is so sick, Jeremiah says. So deceitful. But the word of God is alive and active and it starts to cut at and saw between our souls and our spirits. The soul is the mind, the desires, and the emotions. Did you hear what I said? Your soul is where your desires are. It's where your desires, and it fights with the spirit. Look at verse 17 of Galatians chapter five. It says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, and I love this. This helps really make it plain, so that you're not able to do whatever you want. How many want to do whatever you want? Come on, church. Come on, come on, come on. How many want to do what you want? Lift your hands. I know your kids are next to you, but be honest. You want to do whatever you want. When you turn 18, you even tell your kids you could do whatever you want. What foolish teaching is that? Some of us were told when we were growing up, well, when you're 18, you can do whatever you want. Well, it was bad teaching because I did, and it didn't work out, amen? So, but that's what we want. We want to do whatever we want. That's what the soul wants. It's sick. It wants to do what it wants to do. It does not want to be ruled. It wants to go wherever the heart takes me. Follow your heart is the worst advice possible on the planet Earth. So the heart is deceitful. Who can understand it? Only God's word. And when you begin to allow the meaning and the message of God's word to come active in your heart, an adjustment begins to happen. Paul actually talks about this in Romans 7 where he says, why do I do the things that I do? And I don't know why I do what I do, and I'm so confused. I'm trying to do the right thing, but even I try to do the right thing, I can't do the right thing, I always end up doing the wrong thing. Paul acknowledges this issue inside of him, and so what we're being told in Scripture in Hebrews 4 is when we get the message of the word, the written word, the meaning of the word, it goes to work on our hearts. And notice the text says too that this is the sword of the What? The sword of the spirit. So this is the spirit's weapon. I want you to catch this. This is not your weapon. This is the spirit's weapon that's operating inside of you. See, when the believer comes to faith, we receive a new creation in Christ Jesus. I talked about that earlier. And when they get the Holy Spirit comes and resides inside of us. But we still got a messed up soul. So we got a spirit and a soul. So when we use the word of God, the spirit goes to work on our soul. It's his spirit doing the chiseling, which is why it's so easy to pass over our time with Jesus in the morning, but make sure we have our cup of coffee and watch ESPN and get caught up on the NBA finals. Just think about it. Because the spirit wants to go to work. This is the sword of the spirit. This is the weapon to which he fights, Ephesians 6 says. But Paul says we read the graphe, the written word. We get the logos, the message of the word. The moment we read it, we understand it, it goes to work, dividing up the lie in our soul and reveals truth to it. And they begin to be in conflict. But the third word, and it's the word that we see in Ephesians six seventeen is the word rhema. Rhema is the spoken word. It's the speech. It's The proper translation would be the utterance of God's word. The utterance of the word. Rhema is what happens when we read the written word, take the meaning of the written word, and speak it. This is why I'm saying to you that so important we understand and memorize scripture, not for just memorizing scripture's sake, but because it's the weapon to which the Spirit uses to fight off the flesh and to allow his spirit to reign in our life. When God's word is spoken, it divides, watch this, our views from his view. Did you hear that? When God's word is spoken, it divides our view, the soul our personal opinion view, and his view. How many of you ever had a debate with God on his own word about what it really means? How many of you ever won the argument? Okay. The soul and the spirit, but when I speak it, all of a sudden, the soul backs up and begins to operate underneath the words of God. And it adjusts our views, our opinion of truth. It adjusts our opinion of truth to his truth. You speak his word and it adjusts your opinion on a matter to his truth. Our perspective to his perspective. By the way, Satan does not care when you say these words. In my opinion, dot, dot, dot he could care less about your opinion air opinion all you want or he could care less when we say well some people say well some people say he loves it when you say well some people say or they say I think this is what so-and-so says this what so-and-so believes but well, let me tell you what happens. Whenever you begin to say this, here is what God says on a matter, Satan heads for the hill. Hills. See, the, the Texas just came out of me, the hills. The, the hills. He flees. He takes off running. And Jesus models for that for us in Matthew 4. Watch this. Matthew chapter 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, be tempted by the devil. Did you catch that? He was led by the Spirit, by the way, to be tempted by the devil. Do you know the Spirit likes to fight off Satan? I think the Spirit took Jesus just to shut the devil up. Look at it. The Spirit led him. I'm taking you into this battle so you can slice him up. You know, God will lead you into conversations with coworkers just so you can slice him up and deliver truth leads you into the battle, into the wilderness, because I'm trying to speak truth. Watch this. So after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry. <laughs> of course he is. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell the stones to become bread. He tempts him right there in his hunger pain. He's got a hunger pain. You've had hunger pains? Yes, he has a hunger pain. Satan loves to tempt you right where your pain is, by the way. That'll preach a whole nother sermon, won't it? Think about that. Wherever your pain is, God, Satan will tempt you wherever your pain is. What they said to you, what they did to you, how they treated you, I'm going to push right wherever your pain is. So how does Jesus respond in that moment? Three words. It is written. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 8, man shall live live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from mouth of God. And he continues on to do the same pattern multiple times until eventually after the third time, Satan's like, I'm out of here. But every time, Jesus comes back with, it is written. It is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. Fight for your soul with the words, it is written, it'll change your life. The reason this is so powerful is because of this, write this in, when we speak the words of God, our souls get in alignment with his word. You see, your soul is not in alignment with his word. The spirit is in alignment with his word. So when you begin to speak his word, your soul gets in alignment with the spirit, and all of a sudden the spirit begins to reign, and you start living a life that's contrary to the flesh and more contrary to the spirit. You start living according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. And you do that when you speak his word. You speak his word, all of a sudden your soul gets in alignment. Talk to any athlete or coach, and they will tell you, one thing is necessary for victory, and that is commitment. Commitment is necessary for victory. And let me tell you here today, final thought the degree of our commitment to God's Word determines the degree of our spiritual victory. The degree of our commitment to God's Word determines the degree of our spiritual victory. I could say it like this, and I think it holds still to the same truth. The degree of our commitment to God's Word will determine the degree of our soul's victory if your soul is in shambles at times joy no peace anxiety depression worrisome whatever it may be okay lack of rest for the soul anger hatred jealousy envy and sins like that that all originate from the heart When you speak God's word into the situation, into the matter, and you stay committed to that, eventually the soul will take on the truth of what God says about the matter, not what you say about yourself, and the soul will become edified because of the word of God, because we do live not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When we choose to trust God's word, his word empowers us to obey him and accomplish his purpose. And so today I want to invite you by making a commitment with me to remember what this psalmist wrote, to swing your sword. And you swing your sword by reading this verse aloud with me. We're going to read it together. We're going to put it up on the screen. And I'm going to add to it Psalm verse 112 through 115. And I'm going to ask you and encourage you and, uh, and do my best to just say, come along, make a commitment to memorize this. Now, I know you're going, oh, my gosh, that's four sentences. I could play Vanilla Ice right now, and all of you would sing it right now. Okay? And it's a lot longer. <laughs> you don't believe me? Come on, you know it already. You're, you're, you're already doing it. So somebody's singing right now. I heard, That's thought I heard it, yeah. So, all right, stop. See that? Look at you. All you 90 club goers, you know. <laughs> look at that. All I said was, all right, stop. I'll collaborate and listen. All right, your word. Now, look at that. You know Vanilla Ice better than you know Psalm 119, 105. Applaud yourself. You're doing incredible out there. I'll tell you, your soul... It's got good chances of survival. Come on. All right, a little laughter, but let's look at the text. Let's read it together. You ready? Let's do it. Swing this sword. You ready? Here we go. Your word, come on, is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. I hate those with divided loyalties, but I love your instructions. You are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. Get out of my life, you evil-minded people, for I intend to obey the commands of my God. Okay, what I put in yellow, I want you to emphasize now. You ready? All right, the band's going to come forward, but they just ignore them. I want you to look at the screen, and when you see the yellow words, I want you to emphasize it and shout it out. Now, swing the sword. Are you ready? Here we go. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I am to keep your decrees to the very end. I hate those with divided loyalties, but I you are my refuge and my shield. Your word is a, there you go. Get out of my life, you evil-minded people for Brian am. love your instructions. You know why he can love his instructions? Because he trusts his instructions. I Love your instructions. You are my refuge, my shield. Your word is my source of hope. Get out of my life. I tell some people around you in your world today, get out of of my head. Get out of my life, you evil-minded people. For I intend, I'm committed, I'm in, I'm determined. I intend to obey the commands of my God. Thank you